Hello, everyone. Welcome to Voices of Construction. This is Matt Decord filling in for Noah Baker. Um, big thanks to Noah for having me on as a guest host tonight and really enjoyed the conversation that we're about to uh, present to you all with Brian Vizzaretta. Um, you know, throughout the conversation, really got into the role that technology and innovation plays in the construction industry and really what um, his transition has been like from working for a full-time you know, general contractor into now the virtual and innovative world as a solutions marketing manager for Structuring Site. Um, very much enjoyed the combo and understanding from his perspective what the challenges are in construction and how innovation and technology could substantially help them. Again, please thank you, um, Noah Baker, for having me on today, and also Brian Vizzaretta for being our guest host. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to Voice of Construction. Uh, this is Matt Decor filling in for Noah Baker. And uh, with us this evening, we have uh, Brian. Uh, Brian, you know, wanted to kick it over to you uh, to introduce yourself to our audience. I'm really excited about our conversation tonight and, you know, sharing kind of your story and what you're currently doing in the construction industry with the world. So, um, Brian, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, my name is Brian Vizzaretta. I come from a, a long family of uh, construction developers, but I previously worked for a large general contractor in Boston, and now I actually work for a construction technology company called Struction Site. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, one of the big things that I'm really passionate about personally and really when I, I spoke to Noah about filling this in is, you know, coming from the industry um, myself, you know, my dad was a, a, a local contractor um, based in the Northeast and Connecticut specifically. And I'm, I'm really passionate about, you know, the technology and innovation as well. You know, I would love to hear, you know, a little bit about your, your, your story, um, you know, kind of your upbringing of, you know, how you were born and raised in the industry and what brought you into working for a general contractor now in like this technology space? Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of interesting. Like the construction and technology pieces were always separate in my life. Uh, I was always interested in technology. You know, one of the first things that really got me interested where I started like doing videography and then ended up learning more about like the iPod touch developing on that at an early age. Um, Meanwhile, my summer jobs were just, you know, as a laborer, helping out with some carpentry on some like smaller, you know, non-union shops uh, projects. And then pretty much over time, I ended up going to UMass Amherst for my undergrad and civil engineering just because I knew I was going to do some sort of engineering or construction management role. Um, and actually, my first job post-college was a hybrid of construction and technology working for a general contractor in Boston called Consigli. So I had the opportunity to go there and help implement technologies, uh, both from, you know, with construction in mind, mostly seeing how we can make, you know, just construction more efficient there. It, there's so many processes already that can be implemented and we were able to make large impacts with not that much work off the bat. So that was really cool to see. Yeah. And, um, you know, what were some of the biggest um, challenges that you had when, in, you know, bringing innovation or technology into the construction world, you know, with Consigli? I think, you know, for, for those folks listening or, you know, friends of mine where I'm like, yeah, I'm 
you know, I work at construction and I, you know, sell software in the construction industry and, you know, I'm really passionate about innovation. It doesn't jive, right? They don't think of like innovation and technology all the time with construction. Um, so I'd love to hear like a little bit about and like tell the audience, like kind of was that, you know, an uphill battle to get innovation, you know, approved out there in the field and, and, and what's your overall thought on the role that those tools play for general contractors, such as the one that you were working for previously? Yeah, so the, the implementation part is definitely the most difficult, especially if you're starting completely new, which we were. Uh, you know, they had a very large uh, VDC program, so they, they were forward thinking with BIM and modeling and, and all that. But in regards to like implementing different new softwares like 360 cameras, drones, things like that, even laser scans, um, we approached it with, we, we would show them the benefit first and then ease them into how to actually uh, scale it on their own site or be able to own it themselves. Um, there's definitely this preconceived notion that everybody construction is super, you know, anti-technology. And, and I, I actually didn't find the, that same pushback, I would say, when we were doing implementation. Some of the, you know, the general superintendents, some of the older, more seasoned superintendents on that company were actually the most forward thinking people when it came to technology because they understood the implementation and the results and things that it could save them in the long run. Whereas somebody who's brand new may not understand how this could have an impact long term, you know, maybe even a year or two years down the line after the project's done. Yeah, actually, it's, it's funny you said that. Um, I totally agree. You know, I, um, was speaking with a prospective customer a couple of weeks ago and you know he's like I've been at you know this construction company for 35 years and I'm always the guy they go to to implement new technologies um, and it's probably for the folks that don't have those conversations or outside the industry they're like what like why wouldn't you give it to the 22 year old that just graduated college and it's yeah. because they understand the pain in the processes that that innovation or technology solves right um, and I, I think it's totally true. And, um, you know, the whole notion of, you know, you can't, you know, teach a, teach a, a, an old dog new tricks is like kind of not, not always true or, or definitely not true, especially in construction. Um, you know, I, I do think a lot of people are really, really passionate too about, um, continuous improvement, whether they know it or not, or just learning from each other. And like, one of the big things that I hear all the time from, you know, field teams, they're like, yeah, we're always looking to improve because we know we need to improve. Like, this is a hard business. This is a tough business. You know, you're out there in the field, you know, whether you're in the office, you know, you're managing the, the cost or budget of the job or you're out there in the field, it's a very tough business. You know, there's deadlines or schedule that you have to hit. A lot of different people involved and, and we are always willing and open to improving. Um, so I totally agree with kind of your sentiment there. And would you say, was that kind of the same sentiment that you would, fine too when you were in that role yeah i mean when when new technology is approached to any field team one of the first questions is how much time is it going to take from me right and the the issue is that there's a lot of technology companies that kind of beta test on users and are like oh yeah like we're a startup we're going to figure it out over time and we're just gonna you know we'll work out the bugs as time goes along right but once you lose trust in a project team that already doesn't have much time to give, that did give you that time, 
you know, you can almost lose them completely as a believer in your company, you know, for forever, especially if they're like, oh, I tried that two years ago. It didn't work. Right. And they're like, no, no. Like, well, we've improved these processes, et cetera. It's like, yeah, it's still, I remember it was just a tough experience. It was, it left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, so definitely when we were evaluating technologies, one of the first things we thought of was what is the amount of effort we have to put in from the project team and how much buy-in do we need from them? Like how much of believers do they need, right? Like if there were times where we could have our own drone pilot go to every single job site, take the photos and show them to the project teams for them and then get the benefit first, that was the way we'd always approach it. Um, just cause it's easier to do that. You know, there's very little buy-in from them as well as, you know, you're just helping people out on different things. Right. So there's obviously even something as simple as like 3d printing, you know, something that seems so far out of the loop. Uh, we were able to solve a really big problem where, uh, the manufacturer had like these strike plates where like the door catches, um, those strike plates ended up getting delayed on when they were getting delivered and the building had to get turned over. We were able to within 48 hours overnight and create our own eight hard plastic ABS strike plates that were able to temp in and pass inspection. So we could turn the building over without having to get thousands of people, not thousands, but hundreds of students, uh, hotels, you know, and delay a turnover and small things like that, that, you show them the value without being like, Hey, can we try 3d printing out on your job site? Um, more like starting with the problem and then coming back with a solution or starting with the problem, then applying the technology, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, a lot of scenarios where people start with the technology and like, all right, what's the problem? And it's like, I don't know. You tell me you're the technology manager. Um, that's, yeah. that's kind of my two cents on there. No, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, that's a really, really good point. It's like, hey, I understand the problem. I understand the pain you're having. This XYZ tool solves it, and this is how it does it, right? It, versus saying, hey, I found this really cool tool online. I took a demo of it. Do you want to try it out? It's like, well, no, not really. I'm busy, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's all about, you know, if you correlate the pain and the challenges that those teams are having in building whatever they are responsible for building, and say, hey, you know, I have this really good technology. It's going to solve this. You know, for us, it's might solve a sticky note that's you know falling on the ground anymore, and you don't have to worry about that. Um, that's a huge leg up. And then to go for circle when we first started talking, I have found that that's definitely um, a big reason why some of those older folks are actually so technology driven is because they understand the pain better than anyone. They probably built 50 plus buildings and they're like, Oh, that does that. Yeah. I want to use it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, oh, sorry. You're no, good. you're good. Go ahead. You're good. And I was actually thinking like in the future, there's going to be a whole new division, you know, even it might be a counterpart to somewhere like a quality control program and between the VDC program where they'll just be like these new hybrid roles, like a digital engineer where they'll have somebody's full-time job, going into every single job site and handling like the legwork that doesn't require somebody on the job site to do that they could be using their time better, you know, produce, you know, submitting RFIs, checking quality in the field. 
and just having somebody who will go to different job sites, taking the photos, uh, doing the in-house laser scanning, you know, as much of the burdensome, but you can actually just build the projects for the cost uh, and produce an ROI is, I think is going to be a whole new vertical of in the GC world. And it's going to have to help make up for the lack of labor that we already have. You know, mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of projects that people aren't going to be able to even bid on because they don't have the staff to fill them. And we're already starting to see that now. You know, the amount of buildings that are going up and the amount of PMs and supers that are available is just is getting scarcer and scarcer. Yeah. And so, you know, talk a little bit about your, your background of working for a general contractor. And that really leads us into to the now, right? And I think, you know, going off of, you know, very little, you know, resources to actually get the work done that's being demanded. Tell us a little bit about what you're currently doing now and kind of what brought you, brought you into that. Yeah, so when, when I did work for a general contractor, I did two years on the uh, as the innovation manager, so bringing on new tech, but then I actually ended up switching onto the field side as an assistant superintendent. Uh, I did two buildings with them. One building was 136 unit condo development, uh, apartment development. We had prefabricated bathroom pods, infinity system. It was a really, really neat project. And then the latest one was an 11 story commercial building uh, we were, the company is responsible for both the base building and the fit out, but I worked on primarily the base building. And on both of those projects, I managed majority of the exterior and uh, roofing systems. Um, and then, so I, I lived it. I was, I was, you know, in the trailer every day, dealing with the subcontractors, helping manage schedule, helping push quality. Um, it's a grind and there are a lot of inefficiencies and a combination of that is just, how quickly people want buildings built, um, budgets, you know, the schedules are insane and just the labor shortage from subcontractors trying to build a building during COVID was probably one of the most interesting life teaching lessons I've ever had. And I think I will ever, um, it teaches you a lot about even sympathy and just having there when people like, I don't have people to do this work. Like you can't yell at them for that. You know, you have to just, go into triage mode and say, okay, how do we do this smarter? How do we do this quicker? Um, without, you know, getting frustrated because you really at that point have nothing to stand on. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a tough business, right? It's a really, really tough business. And I know, you know, one of the big things that you, you, you know, undertook and are still undertaking is, you know, kind of visualization and, and teaching over at um, Harvard university, I believe. Um, yep. I, Think our audience would love to really hear about that and just you know around your overall process that you're going through over there and had had gone through in the past too yeah so um i about four yeah tw four years ago now i started a project called the uh, virtual harvard so i got essentially i was doing like hackathon competitions and i got introduced to a professor that ended up picking me up and saying hey you know do you want to work on a project I pitched in the idea of virtual Harvard. And essentially what that was is we use a combination of creating digital twins. So like laser scanning, high-end photos to create these photogrammetric models uh, for historic preservation purposes. And for about 135 buildings in so far at Harvard. And essentially just imagine that you could put on a VR headset and walk around the entire campus. 
as well as if we ever need any high-end resolution details, section cuts of any of the architectural details, we'll be able to go in and kind of look at those. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty crazy. I think, you know, I've definitely seen some of that, like in other just industries or, or just, um, you know, you go on a website and like, hey, do a virtual tour, but now it's actually becoming the, the norm, um, not the exception to have those, right? And, you know, you start talking about like the, the metaverse that everyone is starting to get into now and actually have those virtual headsets and everything at home. Where do you see that overall like industry and just general approach that we're going through now headed? Like what's the future hold there? Um, well, so the main purpose of this project, and you got to think about the context of four years ago, it doesn't sound that far, but, you know, a lot of people didn't even know how to use Zoom a couple of years ago if it wasn't for COVID, right? So when we first started it, it was highly influenced on the purpose of historic preservation. So, you know, obviously, unfortunately, with what happened with the Notre Dame, they did have laser scan documents that they were able to help with the reconstruction. Um, just being able to preserve history at that high of a detail for architectural purposes, planning purposes was our main focus. It's definitely evolved into more of this metaverse world that everybody's so interested, you know, how do we bring in students from all over the world to virtually tour a museum in VR and, you know, teach a class that professor can bring, you know, we have a visualization lab that seats, you know, 20 to 30 people will bring entire classes into VR and bring them to Egypt and we'll host a class, you know, teaching them about, um, you know, different artifacts that are there in very high resolution as if you were actually there. Uh, how I, think that might affect the construction industry. It's definitely going to push the boundaries of expectations on modeling. Like, so mechanical modeling, um, you know, programs are definitely going to get more focused like Revit, et cetera, Navisworks. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how that does work. Uh, I can't, I'm not really too good at making crazy predictions, but for right now, I'd say historic preservations, the, that whole industry is really going to, reap some really good benefits from this yeah and like I, I was just thinking about too it's like you know if you're if you're a college student and you want to go online like it almost you would almost we're at the point where it's like oh they don't have like a virtual tour where i could walk around and see everything um like you look at like google earth or google maps right i remember it was so crazy that you could like see my house like 10 15 years ago now it's like weird where it's like oh they didn't update the image recently like i just like got like my driveway paved or whatever. I want them to update the image of everything going on. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It's only like rural Maine that doesn't have, and even some of those areas too have updated photogrammetry on there. Which yeah. is, you know, have you have you actually seen the uh, the augmented reality Google Maps app? I have not, but I'm definitely interested to hear more about it. So I, I tested it out the other day. You can pretty much. So say you're like, oh, I want to walk from wherever I'm at to the store, you know, a couple blocks away. You go for directions in Google Maps in your phone, right? Mm -hmm. Now you actually have the option to, there's like a virtual tour option where you hold up your phone and it tries to recognize the buildings that you're, that, that are around you and will actually have like an augmented reality Pokemon Go type experience to point you the path you should be walking like on your phone. Uh, so that obviously the future of like, you know, 
augmented reality lenses just being embedded every day. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of navigation tools, things like that, that end up evolving into construction. But that that was cool. Actually, I was able to tour myself through the Harvard Yard uh, all the way across to another building in Cambridge just following this app without having to look down. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And so what, it's just like a free it's an app on the app store and you could just start holding it up and it will tell you basically exactly where to go. It's inside Google maps. Oh, wow. So it's already in there. If you, it'll, it'll give you the option if you ever try it out. Yeah. Um, I know I'm sure our audience is all like looking at their iPhones right now and like holding it up as they either listen to this or walk around with their headphones in. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It, in terms of the, you know, visualization and like the, the modeling, do you think that it's just going to become standard operating procedure for the construction companies that are building these to build out the models along with, you know, like basically hand, not, not only hand over a physical building, but hand over all the models in like a 3D verse so that let's say they built Harvard today, they would now have that entire project that you're working on done for them as well. Do, do you see that? And have you maybe even seen that already? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because the model as, as is, is just an as designed, right? So it's a, it's a design of what we want to build. And then using things like laser scanners, you can update the model and actually progress that model to become an as is model at the end of the project or an as built that you hand over. Uh, I definitely believe as owners get more and more informed, they're going to start having more pressures on them require a certain level of detail um, that the model should be updated to and at handover should be, you know, as up to date as possible. Uh, I think when, you know, when BIM first started happening, one of the issues was they would spend a lot of this time coordinating, then you'd have one per one of the subcontractors run a pipe run exactly wherever they wanted to. Everybody else's coordination was out of the way. And then the model got thrown out because it didn't represent what was in the field. So, as time has been going on, more and more teams are, you know, making sure that work is getting put in place in the correct space, not just for the model, but in general. And as those models are being updated over time, it's going to just have a better turnover package overall for these owners. But I think it's going to have to come from the owners demanding it too. Yeah. And then of course, you know, we got, I think the industry has to make sure that the the people and processes and procedures are in place to actually get the work done. Like we were saying that, that massive shortage there, right? Um, yeah. You know, talking about those pains and challenges that, um, you know, you experienced and that you saw out there in the field all the time and that you're, you're currently doing now and dealing with that structure site and with your project at Harvard, what are some of the biggest challenges that the industry faces? You know, is it RFIs? Is it planning? Is it scheduling? You know, what are some of those big, 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 you know, um, just pain points that you see out there that need the most attention? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So the, the single most important thing for me when I'm, you know, when I was in the field was managing flow. So if subcontractors could depend that you're going to tell them to be at a certain location on that day, that it was going to be ready for them, they were going to have a productive area to actually do work. Um, you know, and not having this, you know, rat race where someone's like, hey, you know, you told me to go over there. I planned a couple guys to go start doing drywall and it's not even inspected. Are you kidding me? Like making sure that 
communication visibility was going on everywhere. Uh, you know, it doesn't sound like a super large project, but an 11 story building, there are a lot of areas where you may not even spend enough time or notice things because you're just on the move constantly. So if my schedule says something along the lines of, you know, you have to be in this area at this day and I tell you to be there and I didn't do the checkup on it and it's not actually ready for you, then that also loses trust in your team, your, your subcontractors that you weren't doing your job and wasting their time kind of loses trust. Uh, one of the ways that I was actually using a tool like Struction Site before I started working for them is I would help, it would help me build out my schedule. So I would like video walk the entire sites um, pretty much week to week in the, in the highest areas of importance that I was focused on. So typically like the roof and then the mechanical penthouse. Um, and I would track even visually week to week how much progress was getting done. And, you know, obviously now there's this, there's a ton of ways that you can extract data of like actual stud counts, et cetera. But just at a visual perspective of being able to look at a split view of saying this was last week, this was two weeks ago, and being able to just determine over time how much pro work is getting put in place and being able to track that, you know, at a project level by doing something as simple as a 20, 30 minute walk across your building was huge. Um, scheduling is, is pretty much the number one thing, you know, rework and RFIs, uh, RFIs, you know, you can't really avoid rework. You know, you're never going to be able to completely eliminate all rework because nope, nothing is ever perfect. Nothing ever happens a hundred percent how it probably should be, but mitigating the amount of rework you have to do is also an important. And so, you know, we talk a lot about the different challenges and, and pain points that construction, you know, professionals are facing out there in the field, you know, talked a lot about rework and how that's something that you're always going to have to deal with, but you know, RFIs never will be going away. Planning and scheduling is super important and really, really one of the big drivers of the, the technologies that we're working and dealing with today. What do you say is that next big thing? What's the next big um, innovation that's gonna be disrupting the industry in the you know short and maybe long-term future? I think one of the things that I was always shocked of is that drones are like a commonplace now, whereas five years ago, and I don't think they were, it's like a drone, like, no, like that's not, that's not a thing you use in construction. Now it feels like, every major contractor does have some type of drone capability. So what do you think, you know, in your expertise, um, what are the big next big uh, technologies that are gonna be used out there on a daily basis? Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's a really good example you're bringing up drones, because when they first came out, everybody was thinking about drones as like, oh, you know, pretty marketing pictures, which, you know, they were for, for the beginning, but now they actually, you know, you can create, uh, Earthworks data, get tracking like volume, quantity, at least rough estimates enough to, you know, help with planning and scheduling. Uh, I would say the next big thing, I, I like to break it up into two areas where people are like, what should I be looking into next if I'm not looking into anything? Um, obviously, Structure Site, you know, I have to give them the plug because I work with them, but also because it's the software that I believe in. Uh, just implementing some type of organized 360-degree photo capture on your project um not just for scheduling but also like covering yourself 
over time is like the short term immediate everybody can pretty much do this now and should be doing it if they aren't already and probably within the next two to three years it's going to be the next drone version if you will where it's like oh you know when i first saw a 360 degree camera a couple of years ago only a couple of people were doing it it's pretty much going to become standard um the more futuristic crazy idea that i i believe is going to be impactful is going to be machine learning uh predictive analytics specifically anything where you know you can find repetitive processes that you know we typically do now uh take data from past projects and be able to predict a, a, an issue right one of the biggest problems in construction right now is the shortage of you know very experienced superintendents and project managers at the senior levels where you know they have years and years of experiences that they learned over building buildings you show them a drawing they see it in a complete different way than somebody who's brand new to the field um if we can try to transfer as much of that information from their knowledge base and also just data from past projects, whether it's photos, laser scans, uh, models, even understanding like what situations lead to an RFI uh, based off a 2D drawing, then we're gonna really start, you know, being able to mitigate risk uh, at scale. And obviously, you know, I see companies like you, you know, TouchPlan specifically, you know, you're getting all this data of all these schedules and they're getting updated over time just making sure that there are going to be built predictive analytics built into that to help build schedules better right you know depending on who builds the schedule you may may want that help or may not want that help but just being able to have that option is going to be a superpower for pretty much everybody yeah and i think mitigating risk is massive it, it you know just you know accepting you know that ntp sometimes you know this is a tough project i think a lot of contractors know this is a risky job this is unique and how can we get better um and for whether you know it sounds like you're, you're saying is like having machine learning and predictive analytics it's like all right look based on all the technologies that we used and that we captured building the same type of building either with the same contractor or the same one that we built on another part of the country you know, these are gonna be the really, really tough areas to work in. This is what's gonna delay our schedule. And this is the most risky part. So let's get better here. Um, is that more or less kind of what, what you're saying is like continuous learning through, you know, having all those analytics from previous um, projects? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's simple, there are simple things that would make a huge difference too, right? So for example, like with touch plan and scheduling, uh, or, I mean, even like you're building out your longer schedules, right? Uh, making sure that your material delivery log is somehow connected to your schedule. So if you find out that your material actually has a six-month lead time and you haven't ordered it, but it shows you putting it in in three months, that's an issue, right? Um, having like, you know, tracking data like that. There, there was, after COVID, roofing systems like Sarnafil, they were backing up and they were ordering out eight months, nine months. But, you know, everybody just expected that it was going to be the same delivery time that they usually had. And, you know, good luck trying to find Sarnafil in the middle of, you know, last summer. 
uh, when everybody was, you know, fighting over what they could find and what they could install. Um, so even simple things like that, that help you kind of see further in the future where on a job site, you know, it's very easy to get caught in the silo of working week to week and putting out as many fires as you can. Um, but also, you know, sometimes having that, an older experienced person on the job site to, to have that foresight, you know, what, what are we, what are we doing now? That's going to set us up for a better situation a couple months ago. You know, I had one of, you know, I, I had a really good project team and I was surrounded by, you know, considerably had some of the best superintendents in, you know, in the state I was surrounded. I, I got to learn from them about, you know, Yes, there's a lot of things going on right now, but don't forget to put time aside thinking about what's going on next and start thinking about two to three steps ahead, not just what's in front of you. So helping using technology to help that. Um, I don't really see technology completely replacing humans in that regard, but taking care of the small things that are sometimes overlooked, like, oh, wow, my, I need to make sure my material's here on time. Uh, and if that material... Delivery date is changing, changing because of a delay in the warehouse. That should be communicated to the project teams, um, you know, according to a schedule. It should trigger some type of function. Yeah, and you look at the supply chain, right? So my first job in the industry in a professional capacity after college was I worked in the material distribution world. So we sold concrete materials and supplies um, and, you know, really things around site work um you know mainly to, to concrete construction contractors and sometimes that's the last thing that is looked at is like they'll plan everything they'll make sure they have the crews there but actually ordering the raw materials or the the supplies needed oh like we actually forgot to do that um you know that is somewhat of a commonplace in the industry and if we could get to a point where hey in the schedule i just scheduled this pour if that triggers some type of alert system where, hey, let's call the supply house to make sure that this comes in time, you know, that will mitigate a ton of delays. And I, and I that's something I've seen firsthand is, you know, we'll be working with a concrete contractor. They have everyone there on the job site. Oh, we forgot to order the wire mesh. Like, yep. you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever seen that real life happen is like, oh, I forgot to put the the hangers in for the wire mesh because I never ordered them. Like that is a real thing that happens every day, probably in every town in construction. Yeah, it's it's small, simple things that you know, even even something small as that, just making sure that. And I'm sure there's a software, there's some, there's a team of people right now working on this exact problem. And uh, if they are, then I apologize for not knowing you yet, but I'm sure I will in the next couple of years. So. Uh, no, it's 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 good. Yeah, I think COVID was a huge uh, eye-opening experience for a lot of people, and just realizing that not everything is available, not everybody's going to be as accessible as you need them to be, um, and it kind of just changed, like it flipped everything on its head. Which you know, I obviously looking at the bright side of that side of things, it, it did kind of change your mind on how do you start planning for future. Um, issues, especially when you don't know what might happen. Yeah, and I think, you know, to really wrap things up, th there's a lot of folks really out there in the world that don't think construction in in of itself is a like what I would consider, you know, 
a sexy industry, right? Like it's not like they don't they don't see it as like oh like that's not that appealing. You know, I, you know, I want to do you know something that's more appealing that might look better on my LinkedIn or on my resume. And I think you know a big thing that we discovered in this conversation, but also in other conversations throughout this podcast is there's a lot to do in construction that is really benefiting the community around you, but also, you know, using the most innovative technologies on the marketplace in the world, really, in any type of technology sector and using them to build a physical thing that people are going to be using for centuries. Right. Um, and that's something that I think here, you know, on our podcast, we discover and we, we talk through. Um, and so I would love to hear kind of wrapping up, you know, just final thoughts on, you know, the industry as a whole and, and why it's such an attractive industry because of, you know, the technologies that you leverage, but also the fact that you are using these technologies to help build physical aspects of, of life in the community that people are going to use all the time. Absolutely. And, you know, even even technology aside, construction is, is an incredible industry to be in. You meet some of the most intelligent, forward-thinking people you ever will. Uh, everybody down to some of the people you least expect, um, you know, your your head superintendents all the way to, you know, some of your foremen and subcontractors that are some of the most creative people and have seen solutions where nobody else really can. And they, they can kind of help you guide you through the process as well. Um, I, one of the best things about being in that industry is your final, like your job is done. I mean, your job's never really ever done, but your job is done with a physical product that you can take pride in. And especially if it's somewhere notable, like our last building was across, like pretty much touching the Gilmore Bridge in Boston. Uh, every time I drive by it when I'm home, um, I see it and I point it out. And, you know, one day when I have kids, I'll be like, hey, I worked on that project when I was uh, when I was younger. And I think that's a beautiful thing that I always take care. I always carry with me. So. That's pretty much my last point on there. Yeah. Um, Brian, I, I want to thank you so much for, you know, jumping in the, the conversation um, this evening and, you know, helping us to broadcast your message, but, you know, a message of, of other people, you know, really, again, voices of construction across the world to, to understand, you know, the impact that technology and innovation is making on the physically built things around them. Um, you know, thank you again. Uh, again, this is Matt DeCore filling in for Noah Baker on Voices of Construction. And uh, Brian, appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us tonight. Absolutely. Had a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Have a good one. See you.